My name's Dewey. I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, boy, I, I'm a little tired tonight. I uh, kind of spent the last uh, uh, couple of weeks, or not a couple of weeks, but the last week or so uh, kind of third-stepping in my family. So I got a grandson's alcoholic and, and uh, put him to a treatment center up in Kingman. And I know a gal up there that runs a treatment center, and uh, he got kicked out of there. So I told him, I said, well, he wants to go fight fires. He was... Uh, up in Oregon, and he passed a test up there for uh, fire, firefighting. So he went ahead, and I seen him off with the bus, and I just told him, I said, I've helped you out a lot, and I said, I've tried to uh, introduce you to the program, and I said, I'm too close to help you, and, and I said, but good luck, and that's it. No more money from Grandpa, and uh, be on your way. And uh, his dad, is uh, he uses and drinks, and he thinks the program is ridiculous. And uh, uh, But anyway, back to my uh, story. I, I grew up in the Midwest. I was raised in Iowa. Uh, grew up in a small uh, t- village. Uh, there were two bars and a post office and a grocery store. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's a farming community. And uh, uh, My dad was a machinist, worked in a nearby uh, city, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and he was a heavy drinker. I don't know if he was alcoholic. That would be up to him to determine. But uh, he did drink himself to death, So, but he might have been just an abusive drinker. Anyway, my story starts, I... Uh, I probably started, uh, I can remember way back as a child, uh, and I'd done it just because I loved my father sitting on his lap in a rocking chair and sipping his beer. He was a beer drinker. He loved beer. And he'd always let me drink the foam off the beer. And uh, I couldn't stand it then. And never was much of a beer drinker. But, uh, um, and then I'm not saying that started my alcoholism, because my alcoholism is my alcoholism. Uh, I got a few things I'm going to tell you, and I'm not telling you to gain sympathy from you I'm trying to tell you that this is a disease that kills and uh, it doesn't make any difference if a person is an alcoholic and they quit drinking it still kills if they don't get into a program and I believe AA is that program or some program where they can find a god of their understanding Uh, I'll kind of jump up to where I was about 13 years old and uh, my grandfather stayed uh, with my aunt which was about 13, 14 miles away, and it was in January, and we had just got a, uh, about a foot and a half snowstorm, and he had a house that was uh, about a city block down from our place. And so she came up there, and uh, she was saying, he's been a particular devil and all that, and uh, just, and I, I know what it was, and I, I look back now, and I know damn well that he was an uh, alcoholic that did not drink. Uh, that would, again, would be up for him to decide. But uh, my dad said, well, where is he at? Well, I dropped him up at his place. He said, well, let's go down and pick him up because there was a lot of snow on the ground. And he was, he was about 81 years old, but very, very active man. And uh, <clears throat> so we went down there and went in the house and couldn't find him. And my dad walked around back, and I started to walk and follow my dad. I was very close to my dad. I was always, always spent a lot of time with him. And he just come back and just pushed me back and said, don't go back there. And my grandpa had blown his brains out with a 12-gauge shotgun. And later on, I ended up cleaning the, the blood up from after the ambulance came out and took him into the mortuary. And then uh, another circumstance uh, was uh, my, uh, uh, my brother in 2009, he committed suicide. And uh, he was diagnosed manic depressive and... Uh, my opinion, in fact, it says this right in the big book, that mental illness basically talks about the manic depressive, which is what, a type of alcoholic. 
And in my opinion, it's, it's all part of alcoholism. And I really believe that most people that are in AA are not maybe mentally ill, but, but they're insane. Uh, not after they're in AA, but prior to that with the drinking and so forth. And uh, then I've got a few things I'd like, I'd like to tell you. And, and I, I was always a, I grew up Catholic in a split family. My dad was, well, he, he belonged to the Methodist Church, but he was pretty much a partier when he was younger. And, and in fact, he had a shotgun that he took away from his girlfriend that he lived with for 14 years when, when he married my mom. And my mother even, never even knew where the shotgun came from. And my dad told me, and, and uh, she was threatening to kill my mother, actually. But uh, my dad was a rounder. He was, my parents were older people. Uh, my dad was born in 1902, and my mother was born in 1905. And uh, my dad went through the roaring 20s and the depressions and so forth. So uh, it seems to, that alcoholism doesn't increase, but you always get a lot of either drug or alcohol use after, after wars. And uh, I think that... Uh, after the, the Roaring Twenties, right after the First World War, and then they, then they had Prohibition, and then you know, the Vietnam War, drugs started in this country, and it just always seems like it's always been that way. Um, but anyway, so I, I started drinking, I'd say, probably when I can remember my first, first moment of intoxication, and I felt great. We, uh, there's a place in Iowa called the Amana Colonies, and it's an Amish group of people. In fact, I found out something about that I never knew. It's the only true form of communism that's ever been successful. And I never realized it, that it, it's, but it's, it's commune living and it's based on communism. Uh, but anyway, they have a place where they, they serve meals. And so my grandparents on my mother's side were celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. And so we went down there and they had a, a wine, it's called Peistingle, it's white wine. And it's, it's, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's pretty high. They, I, we used to drink it as young people and they call it crazy leg wines. You, you sit there and drink two or three glasses, and you get up, and your legs are like rubber. You can't even stand up. But <laughs> Anyway, so we went down there, and uh, I wasn't old enough to drink, of course. And then my, my dad was sitting next to me. and said, well, I think you can have a glass of wine. So I drank that glass of wine. It went down pretty good. And, and uh, then my uncle said, well, you can have mine. I really don't care for wine. So it, I drank that. I drank about three or four glasses, or just you know, champagne glasses of the wine. And I got up, and, boy, I, I was feeling good. And uh, I, I, I was home. I, I felt good, and I knew why my dad drank. And uh, uh, anyway, so uh, the drinking started, and I, at that point, of course, was, uh, I think I was in eighth grade at that time, and there was friends of ours that we lived on a river, and they were about five, six miles south on the river, and they had cabins down there, and we used to go down there, and I used to spend the weekend, or maybe two weeks at a time, and go camping out and that during the summer months. And we always had, Iowa had three two-beer at that time. That's all you could buy in bars. The rest of the alcohol was bought uh, in uh, liquor stores, state-owned liquor stores. And we were drinking down there. So I started at a very young age, drinking and smoking. And I would say probably about at the age of 16, I had my first blackout. And I I got to a point where I I could hold a tremendous amount of drinking. And back there in Iowa, we got county roads, and you'd go out, and I'd tell my parents I was with someone else, and... And we'd go out drinking on the county roads. You'd just drive around on these county roads, and if someone seen the law or something, you just pull into a cornfield, shut the lights off, and when they couldn't find you, you just took off again. You know, and it's a lot of wooded areas. And uh, I wouldn't tell my kids that, but <laughs> um, but I started at 16. I started blacked out, and and 
I just assumed that everybody blacked out. I didn't realize. I mean, at that point, I thought that was pretty good. I spent half the night, don't even remember what the hell I did. So, you know, it was, a, uh, it was an oncoming thing. So, anyway, I uh, graduated from high school, and uh, I signed up for the draft back in Iowa uh, at Des Moines for the uh, uh, draft. And then I, a friend of mine, his parents had moved to Phoenix, and he said, let's go out there and just see what Phoenix is like. And he said, you're probably going to be drafted. And he said, we'll spend a summer or winter out there and see what it's like. So, so we all packed up and came to Phoenix, uh, four of us guys. And, uh, and uh, when I came to Phoenix, signed up for the Selective Service. And uh, so I figured it was just a matter of time. My number was going to be called and I'd be drafted. And that was in 62. And they still had what they called advisors over in Vietnam. But they were starting then to, dra- to draft in 62. So I went ahead and uh, uh, we got an apartment right behind, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Phoenix, but at that time, Motorola was like on 56th Street, and they had a lot of apartments off of them. So it was party time. I didn't work at Motorola, but my friend, he started working at Motorola, so we were, we were up there dating girls from Motorola and drinking. And, uh, and the drinking commenced, and, and uh, no one really ever said, well, I think you've got a problem, but I, I, would drink, I drank to excess every time I drank. And uh, 90% of the time, I blacked out, don't remember what happened, and they'd tell me, you know what happened? Oh, yeah, I, I remember that, but I didn't. had no idea what took place the night before. So as the uh, drinking continued, uh, I went ahead. At that time in Phoenix, and I don't know if any of you were around at that time, but it was the same as uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was Cruz and Central. So that's where you went to meet the girls down on Central Avenue. And uh, so, and that was the era of muscle car, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It really was. And, uh, and I started working for a paint contractor, and I wasn't old enough to go to bars, so we would have parties. Well, then we'd go to bars, and they, they would serve me right along with the rest of them. So I, I got a double dose that time. I'd drink, and we'd have a Christmas party or something at the shop, and, and then go to a bar. And, and, uh, and, and the drinking, I never thought I had a, any problem with it. And then so uh, ended up getting married, and uh, uh, the the individual that was president of the corporation where I was working, I said, I went in and I said, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and join. The, my brother was a Marine. I said, I'm going to join the Marine Corps and go in their service. He said, well, why don't you, he says, I'll, I'll tell you what, he says, uh, he had already done it. They, I started an apprenticeship program. He said, finish your apprenticeship program. And he was on the draft board in Phoenix, so he got me a deferment. Well, in the meantime, we were cruising Central, and I met my to-be wife on Central Avenue. So ended up having a child and... and uh, Never did go in the service, and uh, and the drinking uh, continued, and and uh, I had uh, uh, had not been in trouble with it uh, yet. Uh, in '60, I think, well, in '70, I had a I had a '67 Chevelle, and I always liked mechanical work. I I don't do it, but uh, I'd overhauled the engine. I had a racing cam in it, and so forth. It was a very fast car, and uh, I was there was a, used to be a bar right across from. Um, the uh, Metro Center, uh, or, or not Metro Center, but Christown. It was called Statler Lounge, and we were in there drinking one night, and we'd been drinking all all day long. A friend of mine and I said, uh, you know, I I need something a little stronger. He said, Well, I know a good drink. He says the bar maids come over. She says, I'll fix you a couple stingers or a stinger. So I dr- she fixed me a stinger, and I drank that. And I said, Well, I'll have another one. So I drank about four stingers in about a half hour. I don't even remember leaving the place. And the next thing I remember, I'm at 19th Avenue, and I'm behind my car, and I'm 
showing the policeman my driver's license and the wallet falls apart. And so him and I are down on our hands and knees picking up all the stuff off my wallet. She said, get back in that damn car and drive it off to the road. I says, okay. Well, they took me down. I was picked up for drunk driving. So the friend that I was with, so at that time, that was in the, that was 70. And uh, so he said, uh, well, he says, uh, I, I was going to get a lawyer and fight it. So we went to the lawyer the next morning or the two mornings later. And uh, I started telling my story, and Duke said, Dewey, he says, that's not your story. And I, because I told the policeman, I said, I don't know how in the hell you could clock me at 95 miles an hour from Statler Lounge to 19th Avenue. It's not even a third of a block. And so they didn't say anything. So the next, when I talked to the lawyer, Duke said, Dewey, he says, we went down and cruised Central for over an hour and a half. I don't remember a thing. And where they clocked me at 95 miles an hour is I pulled off from Central into Bethany Home Road and got on it. And then, I, and then I remember slowing up because I dropped my cigarette. So here I am trying to find a cigarette in my seat doing about 95 miles an hour. I haven't, you know, to this day, thank God I never hit anybody. I never killed myself or killed my family while I was driving that way. I remember one instance I drove back from Roosevelt Lake on Apache Trail. And I don't. I left Roosevelt Lake, and I had my two boys with me, and I don't remember a thing till the next morning. And uh, so, uh, thank God I didn't kill myself, like I say, and, and or my family, and so forth and so on. So, anyway, get on with my story. My the uh, boys grew up, and uh, in 1981, uh, I had uh, quit drinking, and. Uh, my brother was in AA, and my sister was uh, in Al-Anon, and her husband went through St. Luke's program. And uh, so uh, I quit drinking, and at that point I was going to uh, get my son. My youngest son was into, uh, I don't know what all he was into, but my oldest son was into drugs, and, uh, which he had drank when he was very young, drank vodka and stuff in my house. And so I was going to get them sober. So I went to... Uh, St. Luke's, my youngest son had an inpatient program, and my oldest son had an outpatient program. And I started going to, my youngest son called me up, and for the first two weeks, he just said, you son of a bitch, you put me in here, and he was on lockdown for 30 days, and he was only 14 years old, you know, and then I went there after two weeks, you could meet with your children in front of the consular, and he grabbed me, and he started sobbing, he said, Dad, you don't know what I've been doing. I said, well, I have a good idea. And they were, he had a bicycle ring, the boys where we were living, and they were stealing expensive bicycles and selling the bicycle parts for, uh, uh, for drugs. And uh, so I, I went through that, and my wife and I, had, we were on the verge of a divorce. We had separated. And uh, so I started going to the outpatient with my oldest son, and I started going to the inpatient in St. Luke's with my youngest son. And so the outpatient program, uh, it, it, alcoholism is a family disease, and I never realized that until I, I, I had a lot of extensive uh, schooling through St. Luke's uh, as far as it being a family disease. And, uh, uh, and the consulars there for the outpatient program, they held it up on Dunlap, and there were some commercial buildings back in there. And uh, the one consular kept saying all the time, well, Possibly, uh, Dewey, do you think you might be an alcoholic? I said, no, I'm not an alcoholic. I quit. You know, I had no problem. I just quit drinking. And, of course, my life was just, I was on edge, and everything was going to, seemed like it was going to pieces for me. And uh, So, anyway, uh, I, I, they had what they called family uh, 
anonymous there at St. Luke's. And so I told the counselor, my son was through his, I think it was a 30-day or 60-day program, I can't remember. And I tried to get my wife, we were still married, but we were separated. I tried to get her to come in there, and she wouldn't have nothing to do with it. So uh, I told the counselor, I said, well, I'm going to quit. No, he says, I want you to stay here, because as a lot of these people who come in here have no idea. And he said, you have a pretty good idea of alcoholism. And you tell them outright that they're, they come in here and say, well, we have no children that are alcoholics. Why are we alcoholics? And he said, I want you to keep coming. And I think mostly he wanted to keep coming for my benefit. And uh, they had some really, really, uh, because I'm, a, I'm a, not only am I alcoholic, but I'm a great enabler. And they had some people in there that were in their 80s that were still enabling their kids that were alcoholics that were in their 40s and 50s. There was a couple from Sun City. And you really meet a lot of people, you know, that, that this disease is so devastating. Uh, has no limits. And so, anyway, I, uh, I still hadn't got into AA. And so I quit drinking in 81. And uh, in 86, my friend, uh, he said, uh, let's go to a meeting. He, he went through St. Luke's uh, treatment program for, him, for himself. He said, let's go to a meeting. So I, I went to the meeting. And, you know, that first night I walked in there, it was the North Central Speaker meeting. I don't know if any of you individuals ever been to it, but it used to be held at... Uh, Central Avenue in Maryland. It's probably one of the oldest speaker meetings in the, in the valley. Uh, it's not in the archives, but it's been there. It was at, uh, it's, I'd say, close to 62 or even older than that years old. It's, it's been around for a long time. And we used to get some tremendous speakers there. Uh, and, but when I first walked in there and I started listening, and I started right away, because I was sober, so I, I really, and I had quite a bit of information given to be my, my sister, my brother, and by St. Luke's. And I felt right at home. And so I started participating in, in the program, and then finally I ended up getting a sponsor there and uh, going through the steps. And But I found out I was definitely alcoholic, and I didn't even realize that. It took AA to tell me I was an alcoholic, and uh, thank God it did. And I've been going ever since. I'll have 34 years here, uh, or I have 34. Uh, I'll have 35 years in November. Uh, 1981, or um, 2017, uh, uh, what, 17, or 16, at the end of 16. But uh, I, I've seen so, you know, my family grew up, I never realized I was alcoholic. I've seen so much uh, violence in my family. Uh, not, it was, my dad was not, he never laid a hand on my mother, but but there was so much arguing and bickering, and I and I, I was with him when he was in fights and bars, and and you know I just accepted it as normal behavior, and uh, God, you, you just you don't realize what, uh, and, and I see this in my kids, and I see it in my grandkids, and I, I I try to talk to them, and this one grandson of mine, he just he's he's got it bad. He just I mean when he starts drinking, he just goes all away, and and. Uh, uh, maybe with the grace of God, something will wake him up. I don't know, but uh, but I've I've had such a great experience in AA. Uh, I went back and worked at Dr. Bob's house. I don't know if any, any of you have ever been to Akron at Founders Day, but if you get a chance, go back there and uh, uh, Dr. Bob's house. That his daughter had all the furniture, and there's a group back there. It's not AA, but they bought the house, and so they they bring people and they. The, uh, they hold the Founders Day at uh, the college, and then they bus people over to Dr. Bob's house. And 
is, and I, I work there inside of the house, it's a small house, so we try to keep only five or six people going upstairs to the, his bedside. And we, we have one, a person up there saying you, you, you can come, it's open 365 days a year, but you can't, you can't participate in the third step prayer. They always want to say the third step prayer as a bedside. And, and, the, and then they have a house right next to it. It's the same, it's kind of like a track home, the same design. And in that basement, they have the archives of A, or the top part, they have the archives of AA. And then in the basement, and I've worked in that, you bring people in and there's a movie and it explains AA, how AA was formed. And, and uh, then at that time, there was friends that took us through, went through the Mayflower Hotel. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's where Bill Wilson read the, the sign. He was just about ready to take a rink, and he read the sign, and there was a Dr. Toots, or Toots, and uh, in, in, in Vermont, where he was from, to take a Toots was to take a walk in the woods. So that's why he called that individual, and that's what introduced who, how he got introduced to Dr. Bob. Uh, he talked to one of the uh, gals, I can't think of her name now, but she was part of the uh, uh, not the BF, good, one of the uh, tire companies, uh, um, multi-million uh, home there, you can go through that and she talked to him and then she told him to go see Dr. Bob and then he went and discussed, uh, went to Dr. Bob's place and they sat for like six hours discussing it. and and then Dr. Bob the next day was gone and of course at that time most people if someone came from another city they let him spend the night so he's, he got up and Lois was very scared that Dr. Bob was getting drunk he came back about 6 o'clock at night, and he had made amends to all the people that he'd harmed in the town. So it's, if you ever get a chance to go back there, the, the founding of AA is, is, is tremendous. Uh, today I have a, a God of my own. I, I, I say my prayers every night. I ask God uh, in the, at night to uh, thank him for the day, thank him for my sobriety, and thank him. And, and I try to help people during the day. Uh, in the morning, I turn my life and will over to him every morning, and uh, life is really good. Uh, since that, I've had a lot of tragedy. In fact, since 2004, I've had close to 25 people, uh, fam family and friends, pass away. Uh, I had a lost a sister. Or my brother committed suicide in 2009. My mother died in 2007, but she was a... Uh, uh, one week shy of 102 years old, so it was time for her to go. She, <laughs> but, uh, and I always make the joke that if she wouldn't have uh, uh, caught her high heel on the bar stool at a single club, she, she'd be around here today. But, <laughs> but and if she heard me that, she'd cur curse me out. Um, but anyway, uh, then my sister, she died <clears throat> from, uh, she wasn't an alcoholic, but she was the codependent. Her husband's full-blown alcoholic, and she contacted lung cancer, and that was in 2010, called me up, said she had stage 4 lung cancer. So 2011, I pretty much rode back and forth to Iowa, went back there and spent a lot of time with her. And I'd go with her husband down to the Legion. He belongs to the Legion in a small town. And he'd go in there, you know, and, I, and I, it's, it's amazing because alcoholics, they, are, they already, they were patting him on the back and buying him drinks and he was eating it all up and, and then one night uh, she, he said uh, your brother-in-law fell down in the bathroom I went in there and he pissed his pants you know and I you know I thought you know uh, this disease is so damn devastating here's his wife which was my sister which made no difference it was still his wife she's home dying of lung cancer and he's down there getting drunk but, but he's alcoholic so I understood that and never told my sister I, you know I wouldn't uh, tell her that but uh, but the disease, 
we grew up with an alcoholic father. Uh, my, my father drank himself to death, and my sister was, she never got to AA. My sister and I tried to talk her to at least go to Al-Anon. I think it would ease her a little bit that close to death, and, but we couldn't get her to go. And uh, uh, it's, it's just such a tragic thing. Uh, my dad was a very healthy man at his age, and uh, he just uh, went from... Uh, he was about six foot tall and probably weighed, uh, as a young man, probably weighed close to 180, 190 pounds, well-built man. And when he died, his legs were probably that big around at the thigh, and he just simply, and I used to go with him all the time, but go to bars and, and uh, you know, uh, sit there, and I think back, and, and at that time, I, I didn't look at it. I wanted to be with my dad, but I looked back down, and in those small towns, there's so you know, alcoholism is so widespread. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And and I seen all that, and then turned right around and became one myself, you know, or not become one. I was one. I think I was one. I was an alcoholic from day one. And then uh, also, I've had a lot of God experiences, and I don't know if you people have had them, and a lot of people have, and a lot of people haven't, but. Uh, I find in my life, when I turn things over to God and truly mean it, get down on my knees and turn them over, things happen. Uh, I had a situation, I had some property, I owned property up by Lake Pleasant, and uh, I had a balloon on it for about $5,000, and I just kicked my girlfriend out from, she was an alcoholic, came home one night drunk, and I was at the point where I was getting up at 5 in the morning, she was come, working in a bar, getting home at 2 o'clock, waking me up, and I was exhausted. I just could, And I just said, Gwen, you have to leave. And she says, I'm drunk. And I said, you got here drunk, I'm sorry. You just have to leave. Because I was at the point where I was afraid I was going to get angry at her and, and just, you know, whatever I would have done. But I asked her to leave. And so about a week later, I'm sitting there, and, and uh, I'm going to AA, but I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And, and uh, anyway, uh, uh, I had this balloon, and, and uh, I got down on my knees, and I said, God, if I'm meant to have that place, I'll have it. If, I, if I'm not meant to have it, it's okay. I, I release it. You know, I turn it over to you. And this is about 9 o'clock at night, and the phone rang. And uh, the scale was on there, and at that time, it, they, it was Capital One, but they weren't very big at that time. They had just started. They were just a, more or less a finance company. They weren't a bank at that time. And she said, this is Capital One, such, such and such. And back then, most soliciting people didn't call after 7.30 at night. And I kind of laughed at it. I thought it was a joke. And she said, well, do you need some money? I said, oh, yeah, I need some money. And I couldn't. My charge cards were charged. I just went through a divorce. And uh, I, everything was charged to a hilt. And, and I couldn't get, have got credit. And so uh, she said, well, so she asked a bunch of questions, and she says, well, I'll tell you what, she says, there'll be a check in the mail in, in uh, 45 days. And I, and I laughed at her and hung up, and I thought, that, that, what kind of a prank is that? Four or five days, there was a check in the mail for $5,000. So that was one thing. And then last year, I had a job in Chicago. And uh, I left here, I left Camp Verde at uh, about uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, I went ahead and I had to be back there by Tuesday. And uh, uh, so I, I left here and I, uh, I drove straight through, which I shouldn't have done, but it, it was a long haul. And I'm, I'm coming into Chicago on Highway 55 and I had to turn on 350 or 355, I don't remember now. Well, no one told me that Chicago had toll roads. All the roads are toll inside of Chicago. So I, 
and I and I felt a presence with me, and I, and I I could say, well, I was just exhausted, but I don't think so. And I so I just said, God, show me the way. I I had no I knew where the place was at in Chicago. I had a Rand McNally map, but it didn't show all the detail streets. And so I thought I'd passed it. There was a sign back, and it said uh, uh, Donner Grove is where the place was at. Is Western University. And so I had called the hotel where the individual from Mesa, uh, he had flown back there and got a motel room, and there was no vacancies. Uh, There was something going on then, so I had no idea how I was even going to get a hotel. So I said, God, I'm going to turn it over to you. And I had a gut feeling, take this exit. I took the exit. I come up on the road. There was a Holiday Inn right here. That's where he was staying. I had no idea that's where he was at. And there was a hotel right next to it. And so I got in there at 1 o'clock, set the alarm for 5, got up and called him. I said, and he said, I'm right next door. So to me, that's a God thing. God, God led me. He told me where to turn. And, and before I got up the highway, I had to throw money into the dumpster for the, for the toll arm to go up. And I, I had no change, so I just went through everything in the car and threw it in there. The arm went up. So I don't know whether I had enough money or not. But I think that whole, and I've had so many things like that where I simply... I've got a situation right now that uh, I heard that my niece was dying from cancer, stage 4 cancer, and we have an individual that goes to our home group there. At, by the way, my home group is North Central Speaker Meeting. It's uh, Tuesday night at Northern and Central. And uh, you're, if you ever get into Phoenix, it's some, it starts at 7.30 to 8.30, and we have some really some great speakers there. I don't, how long am I supposed to speak here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So anyway... Uh, uh, I went ahead and now I lost my train of thought where I was at here. I was t- yeah, I was North Central Speaker meeting, and then, but I was telling you about another situation. So I'm at home there one night, and I get this call from my uh, my granddaughter, and she said Tony's dying from uh, uh, cancer. She had cancer of the uterus and so forth, and she had a hysterectomy, and then she took radiation and so forth and so on, and it's spread into her abdominal area. And I had no idea how bad she was. And this, and this individual named Wally, he went to a, a naturopathic doctor, and he took these, uh, they're called oxygen treatments. And he successfully was cured of cancer. And uh, anyway, he went to, he's a veteran. He went to the uh, oncologist there in the VA hospital. And after the cancer was gone, he, the, the, excuse me, the oncologist said, well, I don't, don't you think you ought to take some chemotherapy? And Wally looked at him and said, are you nuts? Because I personally had a doctor that was our family physician sitting there with one leg and, and a wig on from a leg amputation telling me, he said, Dewey, I, I'm a doctor. I followed all the procedures, but he said, I'll tell you, he said, if the cancer don't get you, the chemo will. And uh, I know they have advanced in it. But, uh, uh, but anyway, so Wally went ahead and done the treatments and he's uh, the uh, oxygen treatments and he's cured of it so I thought I'll give her a call so I hadn't talked to her and when I was married to my wife uh, we practically there was two girls it was her sister's girls and we practically raised these girls so and this little girl was always her mother really didn't want much to do with her and and, uh, she had a lot of problems at a young child and she was very uh, she had learning disabilities and then she was hit by a truck and drug 150 feet when she was 17 years old. She was pedaling her bicycle to work, and her just she just had one hard knock after the other. And I hadn't seen her for a long time, so I called her up and uh, I said, "Honey, I said, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing very good, you know." And I said, uh, "You know, 
there might be a chance for you. And I said, but you're going to have to really change your way of thinking because she's been into drugs and alcohol and so forth. So something just told me to call her, and I said, would you come to Phoenix? And she said, yes. I drove to El Magardo and picked her up and brought her back. So she's had about 12 treatments now, and I have to pay for them because the Medicare, she's on Medicare and won't pay for it. But I have really good feeling that uh, it was a God thing for me to call her, and I think she's going to, I think she's going to survive. Uh, she seems to be getting feeling better, and, and, uh, and she's got a, a tap in each kidney, and one in her, she's got a tumor in her, in her abdominal area, and, and, but she seems to be doing pretty good. And I've had a lot of talks with her. I want to try to, I've taken her to a couple AA meetings, and uh, she seems to, she's read the big book, and she seems to really understand that. Uh, it, this program is so beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, it's strictly a God program, and uh, uh, t- today I, uh, I, I don't know where I'd be in my life. Uh, in another situation, my, my wife, uh, she remarried, and uh, she died of lung cancer in, in 2000, uh, 2006, prior to my mother passing away. And... Uh, you know, it, it's, it was the same thing. Uh, I was an alcoholic. We divorced. She attached herself to a full-blown alcoholic. And I done the same thing. And that's how this disease works. If we don't have an alcoholic, if we quit drinking, we don't have an alcoholic in our life, and we don't get any program, we turn right around and attach ourselves to an alcoholic. because we got. And I've seen that in my own household. I quit drinking, and my oldest son started using. You know, it's just... And there's so many aspects to this disease that uh, that I've learned that that really aren't in the big book, but it's through medical research and so forth that it's so accepted as a disease now, and and we have the only cure for it. We really do. Uh, you know, they put people through treatment programs, and if the person doesn't, and most treatment programs today, if they're not state funded. And uh, if they're state-funded or federally funded, they only go through the third step. So how, how are they going to get sober? You know, and it, They won't go any further than that because they say it's a conflict between government and, and God. You know? and, uh, but uh, uh, so, it, you know, I, and I've seen that. I went to the shoestring roundup, and I don't know if any of you individuals went to that. It was up to Prescott, but Prescott has turned up number one in the nation now as far as treatment programs. And we went there to the, I'll never go back again, we went to the speaker meeting Saturday night and there were so many young kids there that they're there through the treatment programs. They're not there because they bottomed out. They're, they're there and they're disrespectful. You couldn't even hear the speaker. And, it, and it's a shame because a lot of these treatment programs are ruining AA when, you know, uh, our, our group up there, North Central, I, I and another lady, we practically supported it for over uh, half a year because we'd get all these people from the Salvation Army that none of them had any money. So we, we supported, we'd kick, kick in 30, 40 a week just to pay the rent on the place. Now it's doing pretty good. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, I just, I've, I've had, just, I, I've had, I should sit down really and just write out things. I think all of us that have been successful and, and staying sober, going to AA, and, and it, would, it would probably be helpful because there's so many things that, that I think of after I've spoke that I would like to mention, especially if there's a newcomer that would maybe turn them and maybe they would listen to something. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I don't know how to, else to say it and to, to emphasize things that, that's taken place in our lives uh, that has helped us that I think ordinary things and basically miracles, uh, like that night the woman calling me, it, it was a miracle. Uh, and, the, and there's still a reason, I don't know whether the reason was just to, for God to prove to me that if you turn things over to him, he'll handle them. Maybe that was the whole reason. Maybe there's another reason. I still own the property. It's paid off. And I don't know. Maybe I've been thinking a lot about maybe turning it into a treatment center. The house is pretty much destroyed because of vandalism. But, uh, it, you know, I, 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 it's some use. It hasn't been revealed to me yet. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I've, I, my whole family for generations back uh, is... Uh, is alcoholic. Uh, my grandfather, like I said, my grandfather killed himself. My, he took care of his brother who was alcoholic. He died from uh, some type of cancer that was brought on by alcohol. He took care of him. And, uh, uh, God, it's, you know, I, and I've seen, seen my own personal family. My brother could never get it through his head. I, he was declared manic depressive and he was, uh, and I believe that AA will cure mental illness if you're willing. It says that right in the big book. If you're willing to be honest, uh, I myself was diagnosed manic depressive by a psychiatrist back in uh, when I was about 27 years old. I don't go to psychiatrists. I, I don't have any episodes or anything like that. And I believe it's strictly through the program and the grace of God that 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 my mind was healed. Uh, the uh, my brother, I was working up at. Um, uh, Powell, Lake Powell, and uh, up at Big Water. I don't know if you even know where that's at, but they built a resort up there, and I was doing the job up there. And, and uh, I came down here, and he, he went into t- the towers down at uh, St. Luke's Hospital, and uh, he was in there for 30 days. And uh, uh, I, the last two days I got down there, and I went in there and said, God, Ted, open your eyes. I said, 99% of these people are in here because of alcoholism. They don't even know it. They're going to a psychiatrist. They're being diagnosed this and this. But I said, the problem is alcohol uh, or drugs. And I said, uh, uh, you go to church to save your soul. I said, you go to AA to stay sober, and you go to your psychiatrist for good drugs. I said, for God's sake, open your eyes, you know. And he went home went back in for another 30 days. At the end of that 30 days, his daughter just had a baby. She brought it over Monday, uh, newborn. It was only like three days old. He held the baby, and on a Wednesday, he committed suicide with the very drugs that he went home with. So, my opinion, psychiatrists don't have the answer. Uh, AA has the answer. And, uh, uh, And what has the answer in AA is our relationship with our father, and I've seen a lot of people in AA that participate in AA. They sponsor several people. They um, do all the things they should do. After 25 years, they go out and, and either go out and never come back, or they go out and put a gun in their mouth and blow their brains out. And a lot of people in AA say, I don't understand that. And I say, I do, because they didn't have God. You've got to have God in this program. You've got to, you've got to trust God. You've got to put your trust into him. And however you understand God. And uh, uh, I'm going to kind of, I don't know if you ever heard Father Gavin, any of you, but uh, he had a story. Father Gavin loved the circus. And uh, 
So he had this individual, he was going, it was a sponsor in AA, and so they went to the circus. And uh, so uh, the individual said, now I'm going to show you the difference between religion and, and spirituality. And Father Gavin says, okay, well, I'm open. He, says, he was a priest, Catholic priest. So anyway, the guy comes out on the tight wire walk, and he does a balance act, walks across the tight wire, and, and the, uh, Father Gavin's sponsor, he says, well, what did you think of that? And Father Gavin says, well, he's probably been doing it since he's been seven, eight years old, so he's, he's very good at it. And it's great that he did it, but, you know, that's his, that's his, uh, that's his talent. And, and so the sponsor said, well, he says, that's, that's church, that's, that's religion. So then uh, the uh, individual, the tight wire walker, brought a wheelbarrow out on the tight wire and he pushed it back and forth. And the sponsor said to Father Gavin, he says, well, what did you think of that? And he said, well, he's probably been doing that act for, since he's been 12 years old. He says, you know, I, I, he's, he's, he, he understands it, he understands his balance and so forth. And the sponsor says, well, Father, he says, that's, that's religion. And he says, now, Father, he said, you get up there and get in the wheelbarrow. And Father says, what? He says, you get up and get in the wheelbar. And, and Father looked at me and said, why would I do that? He says, that's spirituality. So that's what spirituality is. It's to turn your life and will over to God. And when we do that, we're putting our total trust into him. And no matter what happens, and that's what I do every morning, is to turn my life and will over to him. And whatever the outcome of any situation, I know that it's the outcome that God wanted for it to happen and so I accept it and uh, anyway it's uh, I don't you know it, it's a funny thing because like with my ex-wife uh, she married the individual and uh, and I was blessed to be they were there at the hospital she was she was uh, I, and I didn't realize she was that sick I really didn't it was her 60th birthday and I bought her a 60th birthday card and she threw it at me not because she disliked me or anything but she I guess she was pissed about being 60 years old, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm 70, I'm 73, and I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad I'm still active. And uh, anyway, uh, she just, uh, you know, I, to be married to a woman for 20 years, I gave her all kinds of shit. She had every reason to divorce me. I would have divorced myself. And uh, then to be the, the one chosen to spend her last moments on earth with. Uh, to me, that was a blessing. And uh, today I see all things as a blessing. To me, it's a blessing for me to come here and uh, to, uh, to give my story to you people. Uh, this is a... Uh, I don't know. I, it, to me, it's just it's a God program, and you can't say any more about a program as if you name it God program, because God is the uh, the ultimate. And uh, you know, I know it's ten minutes early, but uh, I'm kind of run out of words to say. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and close with that. Okay. Thanks.